Hello, everyone. This is B.B. Peters with Boom Goddess Radio. And with me today is Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks, the other Boom Goddess. And we're talking about self-love and how you can literally enhance your life by applying some of these secrets to your life today. And we decided to do this show right now just a few days after Valentine's Day, because that holiday is generally about focus on love in relationship state. But we're talking about self-love, Dr. Andrea. We're talking about love and joy that we can create for ourselves. And how many times have people said to me, I've lost myself in relationship or because of relationship? How do we reconnect with ourselves? Why is it so important? And how do we do it? Hence the secrets of self-love. Yeah. You know, how did we find it safer to criticize ourselves liberally while diminishing ourselves much more frequently? How and why did this habit begin? Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So tell us all the whys. Okay. Well, I think first of that, first uh, and foremost, is that it didn't really look good to be able to say good things about ourselves, especially when we were in middle school, right? Because the word conceited would come. So, you know, somebody says, oh, she thinks she's so great. Right. And that was a bad thing. Right. And it felt selfish, you know, to me. And just a short time ago, like even 10, 10 years ago, it felt if people talked about self-love, uh, it felt as though it was a selfish reflection and it wasn't talking about other people. Um, and it felt uncomfortable. Even my partner said that he felt that way as well. So we're, we're changing all that around. Self-love isn't selfish. No, and I think that there's a lot of confusion about self-love and selfishness and, and self-esteem. You know, and so we don't want to make the mistake of thinking that it's a negative. And we have to say that our own brains have what we call a negativity bias. What is that exactly? Well, basically, if we're taking a look at our day, we're going to be five times more inclined to remember negative things than to remember positive things. Somehow the positives, the joy, can very often get lost like a needle in a haystack because there's so much else that maybe was not perfect or less than perfect or we overlooked or we made a mistake or someone forgot about us or whatever the case may be, we tend to be five times more inclined. And that's why they call it the negativity bias. And that kind of seeps into our daily life. It's in our psyche and it is a filter through which we see things. So let's say your grandchild comes home from school and says, you know, you ask what kind of a day did you have? Are they going to talk about the good things that happened? They might say, well, so-and-so rejected me or the girls didn't want to play with me. Even in childhood, there is that focus on the negative. So we have to teach the focus to be different. We really need to take command of that. Wow, that sounds like a serious undertaking to me. Teach the focus to be different. 
what's the process for actually doing that? How do we teach ourselves to do that? Don't forget, we only have half an hour. Right, right. (laughs) Well, one of the things, I think, is we need to practice paying attention to the good things. Practice. And again, five times as many, maybe 10 times as many. We might have to overload our system with positivity so that we can compensate for the negativity bias. And the other is that we're a very aspirational culture. In other words, we have to keep on going. We need to best ourselves. We're competitive. Let's just say with ourselves. And so if we didn't run as many miles as we did last week, then we're going to focus on, I didn't run as many miles. We're not going to focus on the fact that I ran four miles. I didn't run run five and a half miles because last Saturday morning I ran five and a half or six miles. You know, it's that kind of thing. So part of it is that we're so aspirational. We're always trying to increase our personal best. And that's that's another piece of it. You know, that we, we can't just simply say, this is good enough. I love when you talk about the example of um, a person. Like if someone said, I love you, and they didn't really know us, we would feel a little bit awkward and uncomfortable, right? But yet uh, the ability to self-love is associated and related to that, that we can say that to ourselves. Well, we can only say it to ourselves if we're noticing things that we're worthy of. In other words, we've got a BS detector. If we look in the mirror because somebody tells us we should love ourselves and we look in the mirror and say, I love you, well, there's an exercise there that we can comment on a little bit later, but there's a little voice inside the head that says, why? Why do you love me? I mean, even if somebody tells you that they love you, there is a voice in your head that does wonder, why? (laughs) Why does this person love me? So aside from the fact that we can ask the question, okay, why do you love me? We could ask it of ourselves. What about me is worthy of love? And then we need to look at our lives and kind of have that as a focal point because at the end of the day, literally at the end of the day, it's really important to pick out the events, the people, the language that happened, the experiences during the day that were positive and remember them. So I love that um, we need to understand ourselves better. For example, I am known as a very organized person, right? So if I say to myself, I really like the way I organize things, how my kitchen looks, how my desk looks, that's a little tiny form of self-love, right? That's really a wonderful example because not only can you recognize it as worthy, but it makes you feel good. When you look at an organized space, when you look at a desk that's clear so that you can focus and concentrate, you've done a good thing for yourself, for sure, and it's worthy of remarking on it. And the question is, can we collect those things? Can we, in a sense, make a list of those things? And that's, you might remember, I'm really big on journal keeping. That's where journal keeping comes in, as a companion to noticing. Let's back up a little bit. Being mindful 
is the foundation pretty much of all experience. Let's talk right. about that. Okay. Because the idea of mindfulness is sometimes unclear to people. Uh, how do you see mindfulness? What is it? What's the practice of mindfulness? Oh, it's good that you mentioned the practice because the practice really teaches us how to be mindful. I mean, we could say, I'm going to be very conscious and mindful of what I'm doing. And the next thing you know, you get derailed, you get distracted, you get called off the game. And then you kind of forget what being mindful is about. What being mindful, mindfulness practice is to be able to pay attention to every thought that comes across your mind. The reason we make a practice of it, a meditation practice, is literally to practice noticing and noting. So in mindfulness practice, we're able to sit in stillness and notice each thought that comes across our mind. And we label it. We can label it thinking. We can label it anticipating. We can label it remembering or rehearsing or regretting, or any word you want to put on it. So it's it's uh, slowing it down. So, and to me, it feels like it's, you know, if we get a little nick on our finger, right, uh, with a pin, and we kind of feel that little pain, that little discomfort, uh, and we notice it. Uh, it's that, but not only with pain, with everything. With everything, and we bring it into our consciousness. So when we are learning mindfulness practice, we're paying attention Lastly, to our thoughts. Easily, firstly, to the sounds that we're hearing. Oh, first to sounds. Then to sensations. And so we label them. We note them. So noting is really important because we can label it. Now, we could label it out loud. We could be sitting in silence and say thinking, rehearsing, planning, remembering, thinking, You know, we can say it out loud, but ultimately when you practice meditation enough, you sub-vocalize it or you just say it in your mind. But what the practice does is it helps to slow down the thoughts on the conveyor belt, so to speak. And that's the goal. That's that's the the goal. goal. Is to slow them down enough so that you can notice them. And that's the mindful part is when we really notice something. So if we're having an argument with somebody and we feel like we want to interrupt them and we feel the sensation rising in us, it's a great benefit to be able to feel it first rather than just reacting because lots of times the reaction gets us into trouble one way or the other, particularly in relationship. So feeling, so noticing and being mindful has a lot to do with how we feel inside as well. Oh, definitely. So we're paying attention to sensations and feelings and emotions, and we're labeling them. We're labeling them. We're noting them. That's the mindful part. The thinking is, it's so easy for us to get, you hear the expression, lost in thought. Yes. Right. So if yes. we're sitting in meditation, we may have a thought, and sometimes we can make a little on, on our show notes, we can make a little diagram. But if you imagine clouds over your head passing by, sometimes we take a whole cloud and pull it down over our head, 
And then the next thing you know, we're lost inside that thought. And in meditation practice, the first thing we do is at least notice as soon as possible that we're lost in thought. And then we could just say lost in thought and start over again. And thoughts are very seductive, obviously. So they they're going to keep coming. It's not like we're ever going to conquer the ability to be thoughtless or in just complete bliss. What we're going to do is keep remembering that we're thinking. And I can see where that's particularly applicable to uh, a time where some thoughts are painful uh, or sad, and we may not want to uh, exist in that particular state for a long time. And what I have found is if I'm able to note that, I don't know, it's like magically almost, it dissipates it, it lessens it. It removes it. It passes me by. Yeah. And that's the beauty of noting, because at that point, we're bringing the, let's just say, the unhappy thought, or we're bringing the difficult thought to our attention. And once we do that, we have choice. Whereas if it's not brought to our attention, and we're lost in that thought, it can control us. Okay, so mindfulness is a very important element of self-love. And I may add, it's also, I also it's an important element, I think, in our daily lives. If you take, like, closing a garage door, and you, if you are mindful to yourself to say, I'm closing this uh, garage door, it keeps you m more safe or content with the fact that you've done it. Oh, absolutely. And for many people who have memory issues, to be able to say anything out loud, like I took my vitamin, right? Right. 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 Or I closed the door or I shut off the stove or anything else that could ultimately wind up being... Um, a disastrous result. So it's a reminder. Okay, more on that in just a moment. After Valentine's Day, we're talking about self-love, and we're treating ourselves as an object of our own affection. I love that statement so much. <laughs> I just love it. And how do we do that? I mean, how do we really love the life that we have? And one of the things has to do with savoring moment to moment. I love the word savor. I'm just so in love with that, as well as linger and elaborate. We have some awesome quotes from our previous guest and some other people that really point to that. Uh, not too long ago, we talked with Wendy Knox, who's the author of an adorable sweet book called From Muck to Magic. And this is from Wendy's Instagram post when she talks about savoring and self-love. She says, Flowers wilt, chocolates melt, but self-love is forever. No matter how many sweet things 
someone else whispers in our ears where really matters are the things we say to ourselves. True love starts with our relationship to our own hearts, and that's why she wrote this self-love letter to herself, and you can find that letter from in her book, From Muck to Magic. Keyword, writing yes. to oneself. Yes. Or writing in general. The, the choice of words, how we speak to ourselves. How many times do we do, we make like a simple mistake or a silly mistake and we say, oh, that's so dumb of me. Or I can't believe how, you know, how stupid that is, you know. And so one of the hints that we give is if you were talking to a child that you love or if you were talking to a really good friend, would you use words like stupid and dumb? You know, no, 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 you would no. not. You might say, oh, darn, you know, that was forgetful of me. Or, you know, maybe I'll do better next time. But the point is that when we write, we can really choose our words. And so just piggybacking on that savoring thing is the whole notion of being able to record our days in terms of the joys in our days. You know, it's very interesting. If our day is made up of a whole mixture of things that could be better or negativity or what have you, the day goes very slowly. When we stop to note the joys, we can actually expand our moments. Elongate, my favorite. Yeah. Another favorite word. Elongate, elongate the oh, moment. God, love right? And so it's related to savoring. And if you remember, let's say you took a walk in the morning and there was an, an incredibly adorable, let's just say, like my morning, chocolate lab puppy. Okay. So I could have just walked by. Yep. Or I could look at him, <laughs> I could stop myself, then I could come back and write about that chocolate lab puppy just as a source of joy. How it felt to touch it, how it felt to see it, how it was such a little baby and all of those things. And right? how sweet it was yeah. when it sat down and it was so obedient. Right. Right? So any joyous moment, we can really stretch it. And that's one of the practices that I would really suggest that we do in terms of if we want to be more loving toward ourselves, it's a really good idea to keep a journal. And it's a really good idea, even if you speak into your phone or make a note on your phone, to remember something and then to come back at some point and some people write first thing in the morning, some people write last thing at night before they go to bed. It's a really good idea. Either way is a really good idea and we'll talk more about that another time. But we can set ourselves up for the next day by writing our life before we go to sleep or as one of the last activities that we do. And it day. doesn't have to be complex or complicated, right? You don't have to think that you're going to need an hour to write this. How do I gather my thoughts? Just sit down and write a piece the of paper and write the thoughts. We don't even have to write them in a paragraph, right. you know. Right. But it's more um, like mining the experiences of the day, you know, to go back over the day which is easy enough to do if you give yourself the time and space. And that's probably one of the most loving things that we can do is to give ourselves the gift of time. The gift of time. Right. And, and to make a ritual 
of giving ourselves the gift of time. I wrote a little poem about that, the gift of time, to my partner. Uh-huh. Remember that? That's right. You it was did. so sweet. Yes, and that's yes. one of the beautiful things in your relationship with your partner. And I remember that poem because it was so loving to notice. It was loving. It's, it's an act of love to give someone time, right? You have all the time you need. Okay, what Don't are lovely hurry. things to say? Yes. Needn't hurry on my behalf. Right. Take your time. What a right. loving thing to say. How about let's say it to ourselves? How about let's say it to ourselves? When we're rushing around in the morning, getting ready, sometimes I, I, I definitely talk to myself. I mean, it's one thing to write to yourself. It's another thing. I say, sweetie, how about slowing down a little bit? There's really no rush. This is just a habit. Well, this experience that you just had, uh, that you've gone over, that you've gone through it, of your leg, of not being able to move as quickly as you have been in the past, and sitting in this little scooter and using that to maneuver about, I think that has slowed you down as well in it, such a positive way. Yeah, it actually had, because there was no running. There, was, <laughs> there, was, there wasn't even moving fast because right. it was so dangerous to have no weight bearing that you didn't want to have any accidents. You didn't want to accidentally bump into something. So I had to use all my mindfulness muscles. All right? the muscles. Mindfulness Mind- muscles. I, I have some strong mindfulness muscles. This was a great opportunity to exercise those muscles because it was a very important experience not to make any mistakes spatially. Oh, sure, because mm-hmm. that causes pain and discomfort and all of that. Right, and you don't want to have an accident. You don't want something to accidentally fall on your foot. Like yes. one of my favorite things is opening up the freezer and having something fall out on your foot. That's you the know? best. Right. That's the best. It's like on your foot that's on hurting, your, on your foot that's, that's uh, recovering. Right. Yes. So, so in order to um, keep that from happening, yes. there was this mindful moment that was essentially what you're saying. I am opening the refrigerator and I am getting my feet out of the way. I am maneuvering just in case. And so that's the exercise of the mindfulness muscle. And the more we use it, the more it becomes second nature to us. And it's really important. What about the woman I saw last week who slammed her thumb into the in the car door? Did this happen really? Yeah, just last oh, week. Oh, right? Right? Oh. right? She just was not paying attention. Oh, gosh. So we can cause ourselves a lot of harm by not paying attention. Completely you so. Know? You know? Completely so. So part of self-love is paying attention and giving ourselves time and space. I once made up a little chant, and it went like this. Please grant me the time and space to move with power and grace. Oh, and that was a chant, almost like like a meditation. I would, I would say it to myself while I was. Can walking. you say it one more time? Grant me the time and space. Talking to myself, please grant me the time and space to move with power, and grace. Grace, right? Beautiful. And you could really like the way you're moving, right? And not just physically, right? But the way you're moving interpersonally or with respect to your work. Yes. And I just wanted to get back for one second before we get off the journaling part. Um, Many people ask this often. 
Do you write with your pen and hand, or do you do it on a computer? Well, Is there a preference? That's a good question. Well, the, the neurophysiologists would say, and at the beginning of all the research on journaling, going back to a favorite mentor, uh, remember I don't remember his first initials, but his name was Penny Baker. And he did work with college students on journaling and did a lot of research. And he believed, and many, many neurophysiologists believe, that writing with a pen is really a transformative kind of situation with the brain um, and helps the brain to make sense of things. So, for instance, if you're what we use the word processing in psychology, but if you're processing an experience... Let's say you had an argument with someone mm. and you write it out. You really, in the slowness of the writing, you really can transform your relationship to that experience. You can understand it better because you're choosing every word. And if a word doesn't really work, it doesn't sit well in your heart, then you can cross it out and substitute another word. Whereas if you're not processing with writing, the experience just goes down the way it went down. It's like a dent. It's like somebody crashed into you, and that's it. You just kept on moving. And I would say that we should not hesitate or be fearful of what may come out on paper. Uh, it is the flow of the thought that's most important because it happens to me and then I read it back and I say, well, this is not bad. This makes sense to me. Right. And yet while you're in the process, it feels maybe a little awkward or a little unsteady. Well, you may, you know, you bring to mind the question of making sense. There's a lot of things that go on in life that don't really make sense. But if we sit down to write about them, there's an imperative inside us. It's almost unconscious because we're using language. And so there's an inclination to make sense of it. So if it doesn't make sense, we can go another way or another way. And I'm a very big advocate of journal keeping. I just so you know, your middle name is journal. So it's Dr. <laughs> Andrea Gould Journal Marks. Okay. Yes, yes. Because that you've been speaking about that ever since I've known you and it's been years and years. I think that is just so so true. So I true. think it's one of the most I mean for myself just personally, I've kept a journal since childhood. But mostly I think in my twenties I got really into it. And I have a whole trunk full of handwritten journals. I must say these days, because I'm moving more quickly, I really enjoy, I enjoy the feeling of my fingers on the keys, particularly with my iPad and my little extra um, keyboard. It's, it's kind of cushy. And there's a, a way that the percussion happens that gets the feelings out. The percussion the of percussion writing. The percussion of writing. So I'm an advocate of either or both. I think that certainly in childhood and early adolescence, I would want a child to start with longhand writing, especially these days when it's a forgotten art. Well, I mean, this is so exciting. It's very um, rewarding to understand the deeper aspects of how we can 
better love ourselves. And in the next half an hour, we'll get into other things, right? We've covered uh, mindfulness. We've covered journaling at this point. And we'll be talking about other secrets. What are those? Just oh, two or three. Oh, of self-love. One of them is, is having a conversation with a friend and seeing what they see in you. Another is to literally be able to replay your day with a lovely, with a loving heart. And so to see like you're looking at someone you love. All right. We'll more be to come. back, right? <laughs> Session two. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.